0: Because there are certain things that I look at as non-negotiables. Like if I'm trying to help you get to your goals, but you're not willing to work to get to your goals, then we're not going to be a great fit because I'm always honest with everybody. I never, you know, sugarcoat anything because I know the people that are sugarcoated things to me, it's never helped me. Like looking back on it, it never helped me. So I know if I sugarcoat things for other people, it just won't help them get to your goals. So the ones that are willing to listen to honest criticism, constructive criticism, I know, okay, they're probably gonna buy in easier. So what I tell them, they'll listen. And I'm pretty confident that if they follow what I tell them and they're talented enough, they'll get to their goals.
1: Welcome to the Key and Mang audio experience where you're here, from two up and coming therapists looking to enhance the lives of listeners by addressing health, wealth, lifestyle, and overall growth. Tune in to hear the latest lessons learned on the Kian Man audio experience.
2: This episode is brought to you by Varela Financial, the experts in student loan repayment solutions. Not sure what to do with your student loans? That's how we felt before scheduling the free call with Varela Financial, where they helped us create plans based on our lifestyle
1: and goals. For more information, check them out at www.varelafinancial.com. Or click the link in the description to schedule your free call. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Key and Mang audio experience. I'm your host, Mang, as always, and my fellow co host, Key. Key, what's good?
2: What's up, Mang? How are you?
1: Um, Living, living lavish. How are you?
2: Same. I'm always living lavish. Yep. Coming back off to of, regular life mode.
1: <laughs> back to regular life mode after wedding season. <laughs> yes. But today, we're bringing back a friend of the show, Kamal Shasi. Who in the time since we last spoke, um, he's been he's been busy, PT school, running a business, living life, helping Hoopers, adjusting North Carolina life. But Kamar, what's good? How are you? What's going on, y'all? Thank you for having me back. Of course, of course. No, we're we're just gonna open it up to kind of catch us up where things that have been going since we this time last this time last year or this time last year.
0: Yeah, so it's actually time has been flying. Uh, it felt like I was just on here with y'all um, not too long ago. But yeah, started uh, PT school. So I moved from Chicago to North Carolina. Um, wasn't my first time like ever moving. I've moved you know, across the country before and things like that. So that wasn't brand new. But just moving in general, anybody that has moved knows that that can be a long process. So just moving, um, deciding to start a business. Um, Starting PT school, those are two things that people don't decide to do at the same time, but um, I haven't always done things that people have considered conventional. So, decided to start a business um, as I started PT school. And uh, yeah, so getting going with school, almost done with year one, which is crazy because I feel like I just started. So, finishing up with year one uh, business is starting to take off a little bit. Um, Things are on the horizon. So school, PT school, they're all kind of coming into its own at a a great time as I finish up year one.
1: What was the biggest adjustment for you with PT school? It's like starting PT school because I know, like you said, moving can be stressful, can be different, trying to uproot your life and start a new chapter and then getting thrown into PT school. That's not an easy transition how how has the adjustment been just with the workload and being in a new in a new city
0: yeah so i mean you guys have been through it so y'all kind of probably have an idea what i'm going to say but i would say before i started everybody that i know that you know was either in pt school or has finished i would always ask y'all like you know how is it what should i look forward to Some people are like, oh, it's not that bad. Or some people are like, oh, it was terrible. So you kind of hear everybody's opinion. But I think in general, I always heard like, oh, it's going to be tough, but you know, you'll be all right. But PT school is one of those things where you kind of have to go through it by yourself to be the judge yourself. So I started and I knew it would be rough, but you don't actually see how rough it is until you get going. So I started out and, you know, it wasn't that I was, wasn't trying hard. It was actually it's probably the opposite. I think I may have been trying too hard. So, you know, it's kind of a roller coaster. You'll get an exam, you'll do really good, you'll feel like you're on the top of the world, you know, you're the smartest person, blah, blah, blah. And then you get another exam and then you're like at the bottom of the class. So it like it'll it'll humble you really quick. You'll go from getting an exam result on Monday. And then you'll get another exam result on Tuesday, and you'll pass one, and then you do the two on the other. So it's kind of, for me, it was like a mental roller coaster. So I, I always relate things. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I'm, I always relate things to basketball. It's like having a great game, a 30 point game today, and then tomorrow you score zero. So mentally, it'll kind of mess you up. So as I'm finishing up year one, I think for me going into this next semester, uh, obviously, the goal is to pass. But my second biggest goal is to make sure that I kind of stay mentally, you know, stable the whole time instead of being kind of on a roller coaster.
2: Yeah, I, I remember those days—the the ups and downs. I think, I think everybody's first year they try to like they try too hard, and then like you kind of just realize like I just need to pass. Well, some people don't ever realize that they always want to compete, but I think most of us <laughs> realize that. Um, So I think that'll, that'll help with your like mental groundedness in terms of basketball. What exactly are you helping Hoopers with in your business?
0: Yeah. So for me, um, when I was in high school, I was, I was a pretty good high school basketball player. Like, you know, all conference, all state, all of those things. But at the same time, I just never felt like I got recruited the way that I should. Like, a lot of my friends were, you know, getting recruited by Big Ten schools and getting recruited by all of these really big, you know, D1 mm-hmm. schools. And I had, you know, interest from those schools. Like, they would call or send letters and things like that. But I just never had scholarship offers from really big schools. You know, it was a lot of, you know, D2 schools or D3 schools and things like that. And I – I like, these were my friends. I would always play against them. So I knew in the back of my mind, like – I'm just as good as these guys. And they felt they like they knew the same thing. Like they would, they probably wouldn't say it, but like they knew I was just as good as them. So for me, I just always felt like, I mean, I know everybody feels like they're underrated or not appreciated, but I honestly felt that way. And I had like the results to back it up. So for me, like people cared about me, but I just never really felt like I had somebody advocating for me. So it was never like, hey, I have this one kid He's an all-conference player. He's led his high school to the state championship game, you know, final four, two years in a row. He's a winner. He does all the things that you want in a player. I just never felt like I had someone advocating for me. So now I feel like I'm in a position where I talk to a lot of high school basketball players. I discuss, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I discuss basketball 24-7, and I always have people reaching out, asking for advice. So I kind of said to myself, like, If I'm giving all this advice out and I've been in a similar position to a lot of players, why not be that person now that can advocate for them so that they're not in a position where they're looking back years later and they were like, oh, I eventually got to play college basketball, but it shouldn't have been that tough. Like I shouldn't have to be almost 4.0 student and still go to a junior college because I wanted another year to get more looks. I was one of the few players that was in the junior college, not because I didn't have the grades. Like I had almost a 4.0. I went to a junior college because I didn't have the looks that I wanted. So I said to myself, I don't want somebody to be in a similar position to me where they're capable of playing at, you know, a certain level, whether it's a D1 or D2 level or whatever level their game says they should play at and not have someone help them out. So for me now, I just basically help high school basketball players, with their uh, correct mindset, that's the first thing, because if you don't have the right mindset, you won't get anywhere. And then second part comes the body, which is kind of what I'm, you know, basically doing now being a PT student. So, you know, if you're not on the court, if you're not, you know, if you don't have the proper injury prevention things going on, if your body's not prepared for the rigors of a long season, you're not going to be on the court to show them how good you are. So those are the first two components that I kind of, you know, focus in on. And then the last component is the exposure, because if you have, you know, the mindset, the body, but nobody sees you playing, you know, it's kind of pointless. So kind of combining all three of those things, those are like my three pillars that I kind of go off of, combining all three of those things. And then, you know, just creating a program, getting better, building connections with college coaches, with high school coaches, kind of joining that all together, that's kind of the program uh, that I created now. I think that's dope. First of all, I think that's fantastic
1: to be able to give back to the next generation coming up and trying to make it easier for them than how you had it growing up and in your high school experience. So I think that's one fantastic and kudos to you. My second question is, how long did it take for you to take the leap from, all right, this is an idea, to... I'm about to really jump on this, even though I'm going into PT school to my life's about to change a lot. How long did what was that transition like from idea to actually starting it?
0: Yeah, so it's so specifically this business, it wasn't a while, but just in general, like I started out undergrad as a business major. Before I even went the PT route, I started out as a business major. So it was always like, you know, once I decided on PT, it was always do I want to open my own clinic? I had that idea for a while and I was like, ah, I don't know. Then it was like, you know, do I want to work with sports teams. So it, it it was kind of a a business mindset from the beginning. But then as I started PT school, like there are a lot of great things about PT, but I can kind of see where things are going. So me trying to get ahead of, of, of things as I usually do, it's like, OK, I'm still going to do PT because that's what I love to do. You know, that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm in school for. But if I could have this business on the side, you know, if I'm able to uh, juggle that with PT school, I think I can do, you know, both of them at the same time, just as long as it's obviously not taken away from PT school. So the idea started, I would say, maybe half a year or so before starting PT school. So just the ideas were, you know, kind of going around in my head and then, you know, it just happened to come to fruition a little bit, you know, before I started PT school. So I would say it's been, it's been about a year now. So just kind of, you know, getting things together and, you know, as you all know, starting a business, is not easy. There's a lot of things that you don't think about that you don't know about. So, you know, getting coaching, getting mentorship on the side, but you know, you kind of have to do it on your own. So it's been about a year or so.
2: What are some things that you've learned so far in, the process of starting your business in terms of helping hoopers?
0: So I'll I'll put this in different parts. So the actual working with high school hoopers, I love it because I see a lot of myself in them, but I also like one thing that I have learned is like high school basketball and recruiting, you know, college recruiting in general, it's a lot different. Like, all of these high schoolers, they're like their own entities now. Like they're their own businesses. Like, you know, I, I talk to high schoolers every day and some of them are like, hey, uh, they'll have something in their bio, like email for inquiries or stuff like that. And I'm like, huh? And I'm just like, are you are you running a Fortune 500 company or are you, you know, are you a high school basketball player? So it's it's a lot different. They're, they're more so... I would say it's it's kind of cool to see. Some of them are, are very professional. Um, They'll get, you know, a, a write-up from a scouting service and they're, you know, they're tweeting them like, hey, thank you for the write-up, uh, for for any questions, contact so-and-so. Well, uh, it was for me when I was in high school, it was just like, oh, cool. Somebody, you know, wrote a write-up about me, things like that. So I would say that part is different, the way that high schoolers handle themselves now. Um, And outside of that, One thing that I was sadly mistaken that you probably know, you don't get the support that you think you would. Like, for me, obviously, like, my immediate family, my sisters and, you know, things like that. Like, obviously, they always support me, you know. But other people that I thought would support, you know, I post a lot of content. You'd be surprised, like, most people won't repost it. Most people won't like it. Most, you know, most people won't share it. Things like that. Or they'll, they'll, share, <laughs> they'll share something from the shade room before they share something from the actual friend, which is like the part that I was sadly mistaken. So I think that's the, the sad part. I don't see the support that I thought I would. But at the same time, people usually just support things when it takes off anyways. So, you know, right now is the beginning stages where you kind of you know, shape in the business how you want it to look. But hopefully for me in a few years when it does take off all the people that weren't supporting now, they'll be supporting later. So I would say those are the two main things that were kind of a, a, a eye opener for me.
1: Yeah. They'll be sending your, their kids over your way in, in time. So don't worry about it. Just keep, just keep chugging along and, and you'll you'll get to where you're supposed to be. But I, my question is in terms of you talked a little bit about what the differences and similarities were in the in the high school game between when you were in high school versus now when the kids are in high school. How has the game changed from when you were in high school versus now? Well, like, what are you seeing from the players now? Are they more skillful, IQ higher? Or are there similarities, differences from the game now versus then?
0: Yeah, I think the similarities come, like, the better players, like the top players, you know, every high school team you see, like, the best player and the second best player. Like, those levels of players are still the same. Like, the best are still the best. You know, there's no difference in that. I would say in general, though, I think the skill level, like, a lot of people in my age group, like, a lot of us don't want to admit it, but I think the skill level is higher. Like, there's just more exposure now. Like, every NBA player, you can literally go to YouTube and type in some player and you can watch them work out every player you can see their workout what are they working on who they're working with how they work you can see all of those things now so as a high schooler if i can get on youtube and watch steph curry's entire workout or go on ballless life or instagram or anywhere and see what these pros are working on i'm gonna go to the gym and work on the same exact thing so the moves that they're seeing not only during the game on national television but you know, behind closed doors, they're seeing all of those things. So there's just way more exposure. So if you have more exposure, that just gives you more tools to expand your game as a player. So I would say in general, the skill level is higher. Um, The difference that I would notice um, from when I played, it's, there's a lot of people that love the game. Don't get me wrong. But I think now it's more so what can the game do for me? Which is not always a negative, but when I was in high school or even before high school, it just wasn't thinking that. It was just, I love to play basketball. I'm going to play basketball. Like, there was really no reason behind it. Whereas now it's like, uh, if I play basketball, you know, I can get to this place or I'm going to get noticed by the girls or I'm going to get noticed by this person and that person. That just wasn't really a thought process. It was more, I would say it was more pure back then. Whereas now, which is not always a bad thing, whereas now it's like, what can this do for me?
2: I think it has to be like some type of balance. I do think it's a it's a good thing that kids are now being able to like have the opportunity to benefit from their skills because I think at one time like colleges weren't paying these kids at all, anyways. So I think it is a, it's a good thing, but I also at the same time. I think in order to get to that point, you have to it has to have you have to have some genuine like love for the game to even get to that point. You know what I mean? So I think as long as you have that balance, you'll be good. But I think it is good to see that um, like people are able to benefit from the sport because it wasn't always like that, as you know.
0: Yeah, I don't I I think you're, you're, you're definitely right. A lot of the change that I noticed it's not all on the actual players. Like the rules are different. There's different things in place. Like you said, like NIL, things like that, where it's, if if I'm thinking back now, let's say if I was in high school now and I'm, you know, a top player or whatever the case may be, what I would have thought 10 years ago, like, Hey, I have these two different schools. How am I going to decide on these schools? Now it's like, this school is offering me one hundred fifty thousand. This school is offering <laughs> me fifty thousand. The decision is much easier. You know what I mean. Yeah, so it's yeah. like there's different rules and things in place to where it's like it's going to make my thought process different. Things are going to have to be different because I'm playing under a different set of rules. So it's not only the players. You know, you have the parents also. If if I come from a family that doesn't have much money, and my son gets a school that's offering a million dollars, and the other school is offering half a million. The decision is kind of made for us so the rules are different the regulations are different recruiting as far as the timelines the uh time of year where coaches can of players all those things are different so if you're playing under a different set of rules obviously the actions of the players that are involved are going to be different so it's a yes. combination kind of like you said of a lot of different things
2: yeah so when it comes to um recruiting and stuff what are your thoughts on aau nowadays
0: i think aau AAU can be looked at many different ways i think there's a lot of old people that aau wasn't really a thing when they were younger so if it's something that's unfamiliar to us we all just look at it negatively so you have a lot of people older people you know they just like oh aau is terrible It doesn't do anything good for the players. You know, it's just a whole bunch of nonsense, blah, blah, blah. And I don't really look at it like that. But at the same time, there are certain parts of AAU. The business of AAU is just nasty. You have a whole bunch of people in their 40s, 50s, older people that they see the dollars. They see the potential of things that it could do for them. So they're like, why not? you know, why not it, you know, why not I capitalize just like the players are? So there's different parts of AAU. I would say the game is still the game, but the adults and the rules, like I said before, that are in place, those are the the, the parts that make AAU not so desirable.
2: I think I agree with that. And I also, now that I'm a, a PT and I work with like a lot of athletes, the amount of games that are being played in a weekend is crazy. And to think that, like, we did that, now I just have, like, a different perspective. Like, maybe that's not the best way to do it. Like, in order to, like, really shape you as a player, I think that there needs to be, like, a different way to do AAU and, like, skill development.
0: Yeah, so I, I mentioned, you know, one of the things that I focus on while I help high school basketball players is the body. So, you know, you guys' as current PTs, myself as a future PT, And as a former player, looking back on it, playing six games in, you know, two days, that's crazy.
1: Like, (laughs) it's just,
0: yeah, it's it's crazy. (laughs) So me knowing what I know now and having that experience of doing what they're currently doing, it's like I can't tell them to not play. So how do I understand what the rules are and try to work around the rules? Tell them how do I prepare for a game? How do you warm up properly? How do you treat your body between games? Those are different things there that you kind of have to work around the system. You can't just tell a player, don't play with your AAU team. If they have four games in two days, especially if you're a player that wants the exposure and wants to play in college, you have to play those games. So it's not don't play the games. It's okay. Since I'm going to play these games The rest of the week leading up to the games, how much pounding do I put on my joints? Because I know I have four games this weekend. So it's kind of teaching them and showing them, you know, these are certain stretches. These are how many, you know, hours in a day you should be on your feet. All of those little things that people don't know about or don't care about or are just not, you know, in general, just not aware of. Those are things that I kind of added to the program to try to get the athlete to be at their best and you know in the end help them reach their goals I like that plus when I think about the food that's
1: available at these AAU tournaments it's the pretzels and cheese it's the you know it's the Chick-fil-a it's the fast food it's the, I'm like yo we're not helping our athletes give the best opportunity to showcase what they can do if we're not feeling them with the right things if we're not giving them enough time to rest to sleep to so looking back on it now I'm like yeah, I, I, knowing what you know now, I think it's great that you have things that you can educate your your players on and be like, all right, you got six games in, in two nights. This is what you got to do in between each one. This is what you got to do beforehand the week leading up to it to make sure that you're healthy. I do think like with AAU, like me being from Alaska and no, no people come out to Alaska. So like AAU was a big thing in the summertime. Um, but I do think now with like Highlight tapes and YouTube and TikTok and Twitter, being able to post yourself on all um, socials, it makes it easier to get noticed and it doesn't matter where you're at now. So I'm like, it's not really an excuse now where you're at. Because if you can play and you show up to tournaments and you already do your work beforehand, having people like you or talking to coaches and be proactive, like, you can get yourself noticed. It doesn't matter where you're at now. I think it's a lot easier to be put on put on on the scene now versus like 10 15 years ago but in terms of AU and all that um what do you think about um with people who are like looking to improve their skills and in the summertime but also playing these games like how do you balance skill work versus like playing the games and making sure that people kids are getting seen because i feel like there's a lot of you know, you want to get better in the summertime, that's your time to get better, but you also got to play in these tournaments and these games. So how do you balance the work versus, um, like, tournaments?
0: Yeah, so I, I was just in Chicago a couple of days ago, and I met with uh, one of the high schoolers, you know, that I communicate with. And what I told him was, you have all these AAU games, you know, then you have high school season coming up. And I told him, there's a difference between you know the way that your high school plays, there's the difference between you know the way that your AAU team plays, and then you have a combination of all of that where you have all these games, and you know your body's taking a, taking a toll on your body and all of those things. So what I told him was, work smarter, not harder. And a lot of times as athletes, when somebody says work smarter, not harder, you think, oh, they're cheating the game. That's not the case. So what I told him was. You can be in the gym for 45 minutes and going as hard as you possibly can versus being in the gym for two and a half hours and you think I'm putting in the work because I was in here for two and a half hours and I can be in that gym for 45 minutes and I can get in way more work than you. So that's the part where working smarter, not harder comes in at. So being efficient with your time, efficient with your movements and things like that, Those are the key parts where it's like, hey, working on the proper skill level, but also realizing that, hey, I have six games in two days and things like that. So being more efficient with your time in general is just is just key. So that's one of the main things that I kind of focus in on as far as skill level, the 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 time component and also work on the things that you're going to use in the game. A lot of times we all get on Instagram, you know, there are a lot of great skill trainers and then there are some that are not. So it's like you get on there, you'll see a guy doing between the legs 12 times, behind the back, your old step, crossover step, all of these different things. And then if you ask to see their, you know, high school teams film or their AAU teams film, you'll never see any of those moves being used. So that's basically you being in that gym for two and a half hours wasting your time. Whereas I can be in the gym for 45 minutes, I'm getting the proper footwork, I'm, you know, simulating the sets that my AU team runs or my high school team runs and then using those different things in my workout. So that's where your skill level is gonna translate if you're using, you know, what you'll actually do in the game in your workouts.
2: Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And I think a lot of people go into the gym and gym in terms of like basketball court or even whatever wherever you're gonna work out at and they do things that they're good at like they're only working on the things that they're good at they're not focusing on their weaknesses and I think that's the part that that shows the value of having a coach like you because you can break down like their weaknesses and set them up with a plan that allows them to focus on that in the gym as opposed to going in the gym just doing like getting shots up that you already know you're good at so I think um, working with somebody that's able to take an unbiased look at your game and putting together a plan so you can maximize your time is probably the best thing to do instead of just doing the things that you already know you can excel at.
0: Yeah, I think I that's the great point. I I just thought about that the other day when I was in the gym with the high school kid. Working on your weaknesses, like, it's embarrassing. Let's say if I can't dribble with my left hand, And I'm in the gym trying to improve on that. And there's somebody in the gym watching me. It's going to look bad. You know, I'm like embarrassing. It's the same thing with, you know, whether it's weightlifting or whatever. If I have a weak lower body, a lot of people, instead of getting in the gym and working on their lower body, they're just going to continue to work on their upper body. Now they got an awkward body. (laughs) So it's like, no, get in there. It's only going to be a weakness for a certain amount of time certain soon that weakness is going to turn into a strength so if you have a small upper body and you get in the gym and you start to work on that upper body you look up in six months it's not going to be a small upper body anymore so the same thing comes for basketball like you can't dribble with your right hand you get in that gym and you do a lot of your drills and a lot of your finishing with your right hand you're going to look up in six months and that embarrassment isn't going to be the same So it's like humbling yourself, realizing what your actual weaknesses are and working on that, that's how your weaknesses become a strength.
1: How do you work on working on the weaknesses but also maintaining that confidence in the player's skill set and abilities? Because I feel like you could lock somebody up and have them work on their left hand all day, but if they are not confident in their ability, if they lost their confidence and because their left hand is weak, how do you make sure that you're still working on that life thing but building up their confidence at the same time?
0: I think where I think that's where a lot of times someone like it doesn't have to be me, it could be, you know, a parent or whoever the case may be, but someone like myself, I think this is where people like myself comes in at cuz if you wanna shy away from that weakness or, you know, lose confidence in, you know, using your opposite hand or whatever the case may be, there's going to come a point in time where that thing is going to get exposed. So my example, like I said before, let's say if I can't dribble with my left hand and I don't have confidence in it and things like that soon, like let's say if I plan on playing college basketball at some point on my road to playing college basketball, me not being able to use my left hand is going to get exposed. So that embarrassment or that confidence it's going to look way worse if it gets exposed against other players in front of other coaches rather than me being in the gym working on it by myself. So it's kind of sacrificing that embarrassment when, you know, not a lot of people are looking or why you're behind closed doors compared to, hey, this is going to get exposed at some point. So you might as well work on it right now, as opposed to later on down the line where, you know, now it's going to affect you a lot of people. Are you know, realizing what your weaknesses are. Yeah, I, I like that.
1: I had we went, I went to a um last year. I went to a, like player development conference in LA with um Coleman Ayers and Tyler LeClerc. They hosted it. But um Josh Finn, he presented it, and he's one of the guys who he trains Jeremy Lynn. And he was talking about Jeremy Lynn has a hard time. He's really strong going to his right hand, but going left and finishing left, he has a hard time with. So they spent one summer, like everything left-handed. And then they came back the next year and he was like, his left hand had improved, but his overall game hadn't made the jumps that he was looking to make because they focused so much on the weaknesses that they hadn't involved, worked on the strengths and stuff. So Jamie wasn't feeling as confident in himself and what he could do because the thing. and then Josh was like, So looking back on it, what I wish we would have done was, you know, I got to focus on his strengths and what he's good at, but develop his weaknesses in smaller chunks of, chunk of time, understanding it's not going to improve. He's not going to go from A to B in just one summer. It's going to take years to develop that skill. And so getting him to understand the long game from, you know, year one to year five, you'll see a big difference from year one, summer of year one to the start of year two, you know? So just like looking back, I thought that was cool to see that, yeah, we work on the weaknesses, but we also make sure we develop what he's good at or what the player's good at to make sure that they're feeling confident in themselves, but we can still find players' ways to improve.
2: I agree. Sure. And I, I agree, and I think that um, comes with, like, setting the expectation. Like, you're not going to see this huge improvement from this summer to next year. Like, you're going to see some improvement, but it's not going to be, like, a huge one in terms of – your skill set. But also, I think that in terms of doing so, you need to set the expectation so you can have buy-in. Like your athlete needs to buy into what you're um, saying. And I think when you work with high schoolers, they, it might be, it might be hard to get that buy-in, but I think that's when like the parents come in. And I think the parents will appreciate that as well, like that slow improvement. Um, And speaking of parents, how do you, how do you get, the parents to like invest into your program? Cause I, I would assume it's not the high schoolers that are investing. It's the, it's the parents. So what is that conversation like um, and building trust with them?
0: So the thing that the way that I look at it is everybody's not a great fit for me and I'm not a great for, fit for everybody else. So I kind when I, when I speak to these different players and their parents, I let that be known, you know, from the beginning. So I realize every time I get on a call, I'm trying to learn about the actual player and the person that they are. And, but at the same time, by the end of the call, yes, I'm trying to see if we're a great fit to work with each other. But I also know like it's a strong possibility that it won't be the case because there are certain things that I look at as non negotiables. Like if I'm trying to help you get to your goals, but you're not willing to work to get to your goals then we're not gonna be a great fit because I'm always honest with everybody. I never you know, sugarcoat anything because I know the people that are sugarcoated things to me, it's never helped me. Like Looking back on it, it never helped me. So I know if I sugarcoat things for other people, it just won't help them get to your goals. So the ones that are willing to listen to honest criticism, constructive criticism, I know, okay, they're probably gonna buy in easier. So what I tell them, they'll listen. And I'm pretty confident that if they follow what I tell them and they're talented enough, they'll get to their goals. So as far as the investment portion, I just think if something really matters to you, you'll invest in it. So if I say, hey, I want to get stronger, if I'm a woman and I work with you, for example, and I say, I want to get stronger and you're like, okay, to work with me, it costs this much. Some people are going to be like, ah, I can't pay that. But some people that really want to get stronger, they're going to pay that. Because think about it, everything that we all, like any anything that anybody wants, we'll pay for it if we really want it. Like if it's a new pair of, sh- new pair of shoes that come out, if I want it bad enough, I'm going to pay for it. Now, if I don't want it bad enough, I'll make every excuse in the book as to why I'm not going to pay for it. Ah, I got this coming up, I can't pay for it. Ah, I got this coming up, I can't pay for it. But if I really want it, I'm going to pay for it. And then looking back on it, I might be like, oh, I shouldn't have paid for it, but I really wanted it. So it's just a matter of how bad do you want something? And the players that, you know, really want it, really want to make it to that college level. Those are the ones that are probably going to be a great fit to work with me anyway. Do you find that you're having to fight a lot of negative beliefs about
1: D1 versus D2 versus D3 versus Juco and the route that a player takes on your, on these introductory calls, or do you feel like kids are more kids and parents are more receptive to the other options of playing college ball?
0: I think that's, that's a great, uh great question, because. I think in general, the general public, the games that we see on TV are obviously high major D one games, right? So you have your Dukes, your K- Kentucky, You know, all of those kind of schools that when you turn on your TV, those are the teams that you're going to see. Right. So everybody, you know, naturally wants to play at those schools. But for me, as someone that played at the Division two level and also at the JUCO level. I know the level of players that are at these levels. Like when I was in junior college, we had two players that were in my conference. They ended up playing in the NBA. So I know that there are great players at every level. So telling someone, Hey, you're not going to play at the D one level. Most people, they're going to think it's disrespect. Other people, they're going to be like, okay, that makes sense. That's a humbling you know, thing to hear. And they'll take, you know, what you have to say. So it's, it's kind of a matter of being real with yourself. And I tell them all the time, you have to be honest with yourself because if not, someone is going to be honest with you later on, and that's going to hurt. (laughs) So if you're honest with yourself, there's nothing that someone that can can tell you about yourself, if it's the truth, that's going to hurt you. So if I tell you, hey, you're more of a D3 player than a D2 player, and you're honest with yourself, that's not going to hurt. Now, you can disagree, but it's not going to hurt you. You know what I mean? So I kind of set those expectations from the beginning, and I let them know that 3.4% of high school basketball players play in college. Not at the D1 level, in college, in general. So you have 3.4% that play, you have to kind of shorten that down for D1. It gets to like 1% or so. D2, it's like another 1%. 1%. D3, it's like one5 1.4%. You know what I mean? So if those are the numbers, I didn't make the numbers up. It's coming from somewhere. So if you count out the amount of players that there are, there's just way less scholarships than there are players. So a lot of people are just not going to end up playing in college. So you have to be honest before the world is honest with you.
1: And then to follow up on that, what are the what is differentiated to a D1 player, a D2 player, a three player at the high school level? Like what are the traits that you need to see to know that all right, this person could go D1 versus
0: this person probably be better at D3? I think the main difference is the athleticism. The speed and athleticism is the main difference. So from what I've seen, what I know is the skill level, it's not that much of a difference. Like if you get a guy that's a good D2 player and a guy that's a D1 player, put them side by side, you know, in a workout where they're just handling the ball, shooting the ball, there's not much of a difference. Now, when you tell them, go to the basket and finish over someone that's eight that could jump through the gym, that D2 player will have a harder time than the guy that's at the D1 level. Because in general, you're getting the top of the top athletes, not only the top of the top players. There's a difference between a player and an athlete. A lot of the higher D1 players, they have the skill level with the athleticism. A lot of the D2 players... They have the skill level, but the athletic part and the speed component is just not as high. It's pretty high, but just not as high. So I would say the main difference is just the speed and athleticism. It's just ticked up to a little bit of a higher level. So for me, I played at the D2 level. There were a lot of athletic players, but when I would come home over the summer, a lot of the people that were playing at, you know, Illinois and all of these bigger D1 schools, I can tell the difference between playing against, you know, players at the D2 level and playing against them. So that speed and athleticism, it's just ticked up to a little bit of a higher level.
2: What about the difference between D2 and a D3 player?
0: It's also the same thing as a D1 and D2. So it's another step down as far as the athleticism. It's like skill level as far as shooting the ball, handling the ball. There's not much of a difference. But that speed like the the amount of time, money that's invested into the you know skill training and the uh, the speed and athleticism, all of those things like it, it's just a little bit less money and a little bit less time invested when you compare different levels. So if you go into the athletic department of a high major D1 school compared to a D2 school, you'll look around, you'll see the equipment, you'll see the weights, you'll see, you know, the strength coach and things like that, like they get paid the big bucks at D1 for a reason. Then you take a step down to the D2, it's a little bit less money invested, a little bit less time invested. And then you go to the D3, you'll see the same thing, another step down. So in general, all D1, D2, and D3, like the levels in general, they're all skilled. They can shoot the ball, they can pass the ball, they can handle the ball. But you'll just see that athleticism, and that speed is just a little bit slower as you go down level to level to level.
1: And with the guys that you're working with or the girls, are there trends that you're seeing in terms of, like, are there certain weaknesses that a lot of players seem to have? Or are there are there things that you're noticing that if you touch up on these things, that that'll help them translate to the next level?
0: I think it's the shooting like it. That seems pretty obvious. But when I talk to someone, you know, a high schooler. And they ask, like, what should I work on with me not even seeing their game? I can literally just say work on your shooting. Like shooting the basketball, like if you can shoot the basketball, that's a skill that will work at any level. (laughs) Like if I haven't played in a couple of years now, but if my jump shot is still on point. I might not be able to guard as, you know, as good as I used to a couple years ago, or I may not be as athletic, but I guarantee you if I can shoot the ball at the same level, you can put me on the court right now and I can survive. So sh- shooting translates no matter what level, no matter, you know, how long you've played. So I can just say automatically work on your shooting because if you can shoot the ball there'll always be a school that'll be interested. And if you take it a step further, if you're in college and you can shoot the ball, there'll always be a pro, a pro team that'll be interested. So shooting, I would say, is the main thing that I, you know, kind of focus in on. And then, you know, regard handling the ball, you know, being able to create a shot. If you can create a shot for yourself, a good shot, that's always a plus. Because uh, most people, honestly, can't do that. So shooting is the number one You know, main skill that kind of translates that I would say everyone should be putting in. You know, adequate amount of time on. Are there skills like, let's
1: say, if I'm a, let's say, it's not shooting. What's the second skill that you feel like should be that's more translatable from the high school game to the college
0: game that should people should work on? So I'm gonna I'm gonna take this a different way. I don't I don't know if this is an actual you know, skill in terms of getting the gym and work on, but I would just say IQ of the game. So I had a friend, His uh, he has a family member that's not in high school yet, but he's uh, I think he's in eighth grade. And he says, "How how do I get him better in general? And I said, just sit down with him and watch basketball with him all day. For me growing up, like my dad or my friends, you know, family members, I was just around people that love basketball. So literally, I would watch basketball. You could ask a family member, any family member. I watch basketball all day, every day. And kind of with anything, the more you see it, the more you'll just get better at recognizing things. You'll recognize patterns. You'll recognize plays. You'll recognize, you know, different things within the game just from watching over and over and over. So just understanding the game, you just have to watch it. Just be a student of the game, watch it all day, every day. And by doing so, other things will easier. You'll recognize things that others don't recognize. So you don't have to get in the gym to work on, you know, your defense as far as, you know, stealing the ball from somebody. If you're watching it all the time, you'll know where the passes are coming from. You'll know where plays are directed if you're just watching all the time. So I would say after shooting, just understanding of the game, IQ of the game is the most important part.
2: Do you ever talk about with your um your athletes like steps after basketball?
0: I do mention it, but I think they're so focused on how do I get to that goal that I don't want to kind of deviate them like hey, yeah, you, you want to work on getting to your goal, but like how about after your goal? Because they're working yeah. so hard on just trying to get to the goal and I know how hard that is but you know for the people that i end up working with for a longer period of time you know as things are getting going now i'm gonna you know i tell people i'm signed up to work with you for a year but this like partnership this relationship doesn't stop after a year so you know let's say you're a senior in high school you get that offer that you want you end up going to college we're not directly working with each other but our relationship our communication that lasts forever so it's like hey you're in college right now You know, your college career is coming to an end or you're in the middle of it. What are you going to do after college? Those are things that I'm glad that I had, you know, in my mind, people told me even before going to college. So now I already had my plan after college. It wasn't like basketball or nothing. It was like, okay, basketball is my main goal, my main priority. I'm going to put all my energy and effort into it. But at the same time, just realizing the numbers, realizing How many people make it to the college level? So when you talk about the pro level, that has to shrink also. So just realizing that not many people are going to make it to the pro level, how am I going to use basketball as my tool? That's the main thing that I try to you know tell people in things that I'll you know focus more on as they get to that stage.
2: Yeah, I think it's that's what I was kind of getting at because if only three point four percent of people play college basketball, then the numbers are going to shrink, and then I I've known like a lot of people who like they went to college and they majored in basketball, like nothing else. (laughs) And now it's just like, what are you going to do? And I think, I really think it's important that people have like other ways to utilize their skills. I think a lot of basketball translates to, to other things. And this made me think of it when you said uh, the IQ, because even if you're like, not like a D one player, you can, if you have a good IQ of the game, you can create create a career for yourself. Um, So just thinking of other ways, but I do, I do understand how it's distracting in the sense if somebody's trying to get to that goal. You're not trying to look like 15 years ahead, you know, but.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's a great point because I have like high school friends that didn't make it to the college level and mentally like they just still haven't recovered. You know what I mean? Because they put all their energy and effort in trying to get to college And, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's injury, whether it's, you know, just not being good enough, they never ended up getting to that goal of playing there. And if that's all you've known your whole life, now it's like, hey, you can't play anymore. Go find something else to do. That messes up a lot of people mentally. So I have another friend. He's actually coaching college basketball. He's doing something on the side where he kind of helps former high school and college, you know, athletes transition to the next part of their life because mentally that's a huge roadblock for a lot of people when they can't do something that they've been doing their whole life. So just trying to, you know, find what are my hobbies? What do I like to do outside of basketball? It's just a tough thing that sadly some people never really figure out. And for somebody like myself, I'm glad I figured that out and I can still, you know, work within basketball, within sports, which is something that obviously I love to do.
1: So if we're looking five, 10 years down the line for you, what are you hoping to accomplish
0: down the line? So five years from now, I will be a PT. So that's first thing. So I'll be, you know, a PT. And also as far as what I'm doing, you know, with high school athletes, I want to be that go-to person where it's like, hey, I have a son that's in high school. What's the best way for me to get him to college? So I want to be that go-to person for if they have an injury, they're coming to work with me as their physical therapist. If they need help with their recruiting, they're coming to me as that person that has been through recruiting before and has helped hundreds of high school basketball players make it to the college level. So the business that I started, you know, it's about a year now. I want that to be expanded nationwide it's like okay that's the guy that's doing something unconventional he's a physical therapist but he's also helping high school basketball players with recruiting and those two two things you just i don't really know many people that are doing that where it's like hey he knows about college basketball high school basketball recruiting but he's also a doctor of physical therapy to he can to where he can teach you about your body and how to you know prevent injuries and all those things. And it's all joined together in one program and one person. So I want to be that person five, 10 years from now, that's doing that thing. And hopefully other people see that in five, 10 years, and maybe they'll start their own thing similar.
2: Damn, sorry. (laughs) I think that uh, what you're doing is unique. And I think once more people like see things like this, I think um, that'll like expose them to their own ideas. But I think that in terms of like what it is now, like what most people are doing, it's it's like just broken up too much. I think um, as a physical therapist, once you're able to tap into like some of these sports and combine the knowledge that you learn in school with like your own experiences, like the programs that you can create are like crazy. Um, so I think what you're doing is really, really dope. And I would like to see like how that um, like influences other people. Because a lot of people get into PT because of like their involvement in sports, but I don't think they know how to put it all together outside of just treating people.
0: Yeah. I think, I think I see that now actually being in school, there's like, like PT is a great profession, but I think there's a false sense. And I I think you guys can probably speak to that more than me being physical therapist currently, but like, there's a false sense of what the actual profession is. So for me having friends like you all that I can easily just call or text or whatever the case may be and ask these different questions. I think people that are in PT school now, they have no idea of those things. So for me, it's like, okay, I know what the field is like. I know what I love to do. How do I join all of this together to where it's like, I don't look, you know, in five years and I hate what I'm doing. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's many things within PT, that you can do to make you not hate the job. And I don't want to be one of those people that hates the job. So it's like, okay, I like PT. I like basketball. Let me join those two things together to where it's like, I love this now. So that's where I'm starting now as someone that's, you know, finishing up their first year and hopefully, you know, going to continue it for years to come. And I think that's the cool thing about, being in
1: the PT space, that a lot of it, like if you want to work with athletes or a certain sport, the field is so small that you can go find, you can go to a conference and you find a lot of people that you're trying to work with or you're trying to learn from from all in one spot. Um, And the competition really to to be elite in these different sectors is not that high. So I think it's just about the consistency and, having the awareness to ask questions about things you might be weak at or things you don't have experience in and then being able to apply the things that, you know, the people, people in the positions where you want to be at um, are, are are telling you to do. And I think if you can build on that, then you suddenly go from, you talk about like sports PT, is like 1%. Like there's it's a short, it's like, it's not that big percent, percentage of PTs that go into sports to specialize in sports. And then you subset it into a like basketball, it's even smaller. So then being recognized as one of the top in, in your in your field, I think that just also helps with the um people referring people to you, or if they got athletes that are um, you know, high-level basketball player, like oh, Kamal works with high-level basketball players. Let me send this over to him because I don't have that much experience in that. So I think it's it's a it's a tool to, it's a way to be able to really differentiate yourself. And I think continue on with this. And I think a lot of people will will be put on the, on your radar too.
0: Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people might get mad when I say this, but I think y'all will agree. I think PTs, the, the profession in general, PTs are not creative. Like PTs don't think outside the box. PTs are pigeonholed to, you know, what you're taught in school, this is, you know, this is how you do things, go buy the book, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas like myself, you, Key, I think we're like, okay, we're in PT, we love PT, but there are many different avenues that you can take this thing. You don't always have to go buy the book of what they told you when you were in class, because that's just not how business and the world works. So we've been taught, you know, this is how you do a certain thing, but when really, when you get out into the real world, that's not really how it goes. So just for me, having that mindset that are that's kind of different from, you know, a lot of classmates or people that are PTs now, I think that's where I can kind of carve my own niche and stand out in my own way.
2: Yeah, I, I agree 100% with everything you said, obviously. But I think a lot of it too is that, yes, most PTs aren't creative. And I don't think that people like actually realize how much you learned in PT school. Like we learned so much stuff in PT school that doesn't just translate into being in a clinic. I feel like being in the clinic, I only, only use like 20% of what I learned. But in terms of like talking to people... Building relationships in terms of getting people to actually like just take action on something. Like there's so there's so much like untapped potential in other places that I think PTs need to like can step up and like make a difference. Like in the gym, I'd be seeing people do the craziest shit. Like the craziest stuff. And I'm just like, oh my God, like there's like all you need is a PT, like people that know how to move correctly. It's like something simple like that. But I think we're just so used to like if it's not happening in the clinic, you can't impact somebody's life. And just thinking like that is, I think is just detrimental to your own growth and success. And I think it's hurting, it's hurting the PT profession with everything. That's like turning to being online. It's like, you don't need to come into the clinic to get help or to, to, or help somebody. You know what I mean? So just thinking outside of the box, I hate saying that, but I do say it a lot. So I have to stop saying, I hate saying that, but thinking outside the box, Is It's important. I feel like people are scared to do that because it's not what we were taught in school. But if you think about what we were taught in school, we don't even use the shit we were taught in school.
0: Yeah, I I think it's, that's funny. Obviously, like, the things that you were taught in school, you guys know more of that, you know, as current PTs. But for me, it's like, classmates and, you know, people that are in PT, it's like, oh, we don't get the respect that we deserve. We don't get this and that. And there's a part of me, yeah, I agree with that. But at the same time, I'm like, I can kind of see why we don't get the respect. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't. You know I, I mean? wouldn't
2: respect PTs if I wasn't a PT. Exactly. <laughs> like,
0: if I was in a different profession and I was, like, looking at PTs or whatever the case may be, I wouldn't respect it either. It's like, you have to, like, I, I know it sounds cliche, but you have to earn respect. And the way that, you know, a lot of things are gone about it's just not in a respectable way. <laughs> so it's it's understood why I get the respect that, you know, we should. So going forward, people like myself, yeah, like the current PTs might not like what I'm saying. But at the same time, if you have people that think like how I do or in a similar way, and the next five or 10 years, people like me aren't going to get walked over. And that's going to help the whole profession, you know, in, in its entirety. So if you have more people that are like, OK. I have a certain way of doing things. And just because the book says this, I'm not going to do it. They're going to be like, ah, I can't walk over them as, you know, how we used to. And if you have a whole generation of, you know, new PTs that think that way, then that's how the, you know, profession as a whole gets its respect. So that's, you know, I'm not trying to lead a revolution or lead a new wave or anything like that. But like, that's just how I am. This is how I think. And I know that there are people out there like me that think that way. So I think, you know, hopefully in in the next few years that could change.
2: I think another thing that will help too is um, specialization. I think when you like school makes you try to be like, tries to make you be a generalist, which is fine starting out. But I think people will have a better idea of what PTs do once more PTs specialize in something. I'm not saying like board certification. I mean, like, take your own experience, what you love to do and use your knowledge of physical therapy to help people. Because if you think about it, all when, if you think about most people's experience with PT, they probably went to a general clinic, got heat, got ice, got stim, nothing else. And the reason for that is because you have PTs that are treating everything and that doesn't help anybody. Like the outcomes suck. So I think once we get more specialization outside of just Promoting residency, like true specialization, and things that you are passionate about, and you can actually get people outcome. I think that's when you'll see a big difference in people having more respect and more knowledge of PT.
0: Yeah, if you when you when it comes to, I mean, something that a lot of people don't like to discuss when it comes to money, the people that are specialists get paid the most. So it's like, yep. okay, I'm in this PT for, uh, profession. I complain about not getting paid as much as I think, but you're a generalist. You know what I mean? Like people that are generalists, like if I ask you, what do you do? You're like, Oh, I do this. I do this. I do this. I do this. I'd be like, Oh, I only need help with one thing. So if you do 12 different things, the chances of you being great at one thing that I need your help at, is not high. Like if I have knee issues and You know, you're like, oh, I'm good at working with patients with back injuries, knee injuries, this and this and that. I'm like, no, I'm just going to go to the knee guy because that's what he does. You know what I mean? So like I'm going to pay that person more of that specific skill that he specializes in. So I think, you know, me being in school now, my teachers tell me, oh, you graduate as a generalist, which is what they're supposed to tell us. But at the same time, when someone asks me, I'm like, yeah, I'm in sports. Now, that could change maybe as I, you know, go through clinicals or something like that. But, yeah, I'm in sports because that's what I know. That's what I've done my whole life. That's what I'm good at. It could change. But as of right now, I'm in sports. That's what I do. And, you know, in five years, when someone has a sports-related injury, they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to him. Not because he's a PT, but because he does sports. That's what he does. So, you know, your point of specializing, I think that's, you know, it's a good thing that we all graduate as generalists. But at the same time, if you can specialize early on, it kind of puts you in that mindset as, you know, I'm a PEDS physical therapist. I'm a sports physical therapist. It kind of puts you in that mindset of this is what I do. This is what I'm great at. Come see me for this. Yeah, I
1: feel like us as a whole, as a profession, we just do a job of solving problems. And we are very good at putting Band-Aids on things with the heat, the ice, the Modalities and not getting to the root cause, and I think as you start to specialize in things, you start to figure out, all right, this is the problem, this is how we're gonna address it, this is the plan, and this is how you're gonna get back. And if you don't get back to this, and we gotta address the plan, but you have confidence in your ability to solve the problem, and then it's like, all right, once you solve the problem for one person, you start to solve bigger and bigger problems, and then they start people start to come to you because they know, all right, you got any problem, that's the dude to go to, or that's the person to go to. You got an ankle problem? That's the person to go to. Don't go to him because he's not an ankle person. Like you start to figure out where you can fit into your whatever you need to fit into. But I, I think we just as a whole do a bad job of solving problems. And I think as you start to solve problems and figure out why they're happening and stop them or decrease the likelihood of them happening again, then I think that's when we're starting to see the change as well.
0: Yeah, they like it's always said a. Uh, uh what is it a jack of all trades is a master of none it's like if i'm focused on 12 things the chances that me of me being great at one of them is not that high because i'm focused on 12 different things but if i i'm a specialist at one thing i mean it's just i feel like it's common sense like i'm gonna be great at that one specific thing so Yeah, I think that's that kind of goes with not just PT, the profession, but almost any profession or, you know, any walk of life. If you're focused on a specific thing, chances are you're going to be better at that one thing.
1: I think that's not to say that if you're a specialist at one thing, that doesn't mean you can't add to your bag over time. But um, I kind of like the skill development. is like you get good at one thing over time, you master it, and then you move on to the next thing. It's not trying to, like you said, not trying to learn – all 12 things at one time because it's overwhelming. You're probably not going to be very good at any of those things, like you said. But if you master one thing, all right, now I can move on to the next. Figure out how I can apply this to this person. Then you just start to slowly add to your bag, play the long game. By the end of 10, 15 years, you're like, yeah, I can solve a lot of different problems because I take my time with each different aspect to make sure that, all right, I'm good with this problem. Everyone that comes with me, I'm able to solve this. All right, now I can move on to the next. Nothing just... Kind of like the skill development, kind of like you said, basketball relates to life. I think this is the same thing, like figuring out how to solve a problem, add to your bag, and then over time, continue to add to your bag. So you're not the same player or same person you was 10 years ago. But, you know, 20 years in, you're, you're different. You're able to evolve like LeBron.
2: Like Kobe. <laughs> not <Nice>. a <laughs> Come on. What are uh, one or two takeaways that you would like um, listeners to have from this episode?
0: Yeah, I I would say uh, as far as as far as business goes, um, I've heard it before. So it's not like I'm creating this, but it's not for everybody because this, you know, the beginning stages, at least for me and a lot of people that I talk to, it's not easy. There have been days where I'm like, "Ah, is this worth it? Should I be doing this and things like that? But, you know, it sounds cliche. What is your why? What is the reason you're doing it? If you can go back to that and it's a legit answer and it actually means something to you, then you'll continue to do it. So for me or anybody else that's looking at it, it's like business is not easy. Starting your own, especially, it's not easy. But if you're doing it for a good cause, a good reason, then in the end, like, I'm starting to see it a little bit now, like, I know it'll be worth it, you know, in the end. So that's, that's one thing. And as far as like the PT profession, whether it's, you know, someone like myself, that's currently in school, or someone that's a new grad, or someone that's, you know, been in the profession for a few years, it's like, what do you love to do? Figure that out, if you haven't already. And like, you can specialize in that specific thing. You don't have to, you know, dim yourself down because the profession says so, or, you know, someone told you, oh, you're not supposed to be doing this. It's like, it's okay to think outside the box. All of the most rich, richest or famous people are people when you look at it, they've thought outside the box. You know what I mean? So like, you don't make as much money as you want to make or you know, get the fame that you want or whatever you're looking for. You don't get that by, you know, hiding in the crowd. You get that by being yourself, which in the end is going to make you stick out already. So I would just say, you know, I don't want to say be yourself because that sounds, you know, boring, but like, you know, whatever you're good at, do that. Whatever you love to do, you know, whatever brings you joy, passion, do that. Don't just, you know, conform to the norm.
1: Oh, word. I like that. Kamal, appreciate you coming on. Where can people find you if they have questions about what you do or just want to get in contact with you?
0: Yeah, so I have uh, every social media, uh, my Instagram, Twitter. I would say those are the two main places that I'm at. Um, I'm on TikTok now. I thought I would never make a TikTok, but I'm on TikTok. So I would say you know, those are the main places. Uh, Kamal underscore Shasi 23 or Kamal Shassi, uh underscore SPT on Instagram. Those are those are my places to uh find me uh for high school basketball players. I do have a new scheduling link uh to schedule calls so we can uh help you get to where you want to go, figure out for a good match to work with each other. So. I've been doing doing a lot of calls lately, you know, with high school basketball players that want to play in college. So that's a a thing that I've been, you know, getting more of lately. And, uh, yeah, that's just that's just how things are going now until the uh, the website gets up and running.
1: So any high school players any parents trying to make it to the next level, you guys know who we contact and make sure you guys do contact with him. He does does great work. So. Kamal, we appreciate you coming on the pod and um, just taking the time out of your day to, to chat with us for a little bit. Always. Appreciate you guys. And we'll catch y'all on the next episode. Peace.
2: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the KMN Audio Experience. Make sure to subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review and we'll catch you in the next episode.